compel us to move into mission and all that you have for us. It's in Jesus' profound name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Woodside. How are you today? It is great to see you. It is a great weekend to be together. Man, who is uh, happy that yesterday it was 80 degrees out in Michigan? Let's go. If that doesn't make you want to worship Jesus, I don't know what will. In this state we live in, one week it's snowing three inches, the next week it's 80 degrees out and you get tricked as I did. So when you look at my face up there and how red it is <laughs> and my forehead, it's because I got tricked and sat in the sun all day yesterday and uh, it was a good time. I'll come back to my bald head in a couple minutes. But uh, I just wanted to say, man, what an amazing weekend it was last weekend. Thank you for being a part of Easter. If you're out of town, that's great, too. Hope you had a great time. But, man, what a weekend we had together. We called you to invest and invite other people to the services. And, man, last Sunday, coming out of COVID, we had almost 1,900 people across all of our Easter services that were here to worship with us. What an amazing thing. Um, kind of almost back to where we were in 2019 pre-COVID, which is pretty profound and amazing. And it's just a powerful weekend to be able to celebrate Jesus together. Uh, today, if you're, if you're with us, you want to join in with us and not just look at your phone today. I'm just kidding. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, that's where we're going to be this morning. We are jumping into a new series for today and another two weeks after this. Looking at Isaiah chapter 6 in a series we called Send Me. Send Me, when God calls us to go, and we're going to be looking at Isaiah 6 in three different chunks over the next three weeks, and today uh, we're, we're, we're going to jump in understanding that from the beginning of time, if you go all the way back to the garden, to the very end of scripture, there's been this thing that's happening where God is engaging with people, calling them in, and then sending them out. From the very beginning, you are my image bearers. Go be fruitful and multiply and, and, and take my glory literally into the world. From the very end, where we see God sending disciples in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples, my image bearers, and fill the earth. From beginning to end, God has been sending his people outward into the world as he has a relationship with them, and then he sends them out as their, his, excuse me, representatives, and it's throughout all of scripture. In Isaiah chapter 6, we want to look at this amazing passage where Isaiah gets this glory, this, this picture of who God truly is, and then therefore, it compels him in such a way, in a number of different ways, as we go out, as he is responding to God and send me in light of all of who God is. And so today we're just going to look at that in the glory of God and seeing that the glory of God compels us to go. That the glory of who God is that actually compels us in, in, in major ways to go out. And I want to show you that today um, from Scripture. But going back to my head, have you ever... As you think about it, what, has there already been a moment where you saw something and you, it was revealed to you and it compelled you to make a change? Like you saw things in a certain light and it changed the way you lived life. Or man, you, you got a real picture of the way things truly are and then it, it compelled you to make a change in your life. I have a very silly example, but it fits just perfectly. Like I'll never forget the moment when I saw what all of you see from behind me. 
like all of my bald brothers in this room, there's this thing you do in your earlier, older ages where, where you're wrestling with, man, I, my hair is going. But at one point, is it enough to be like, I'm done, I'm shaving my head? We all wrestle with it. Some of us wrestle too long, and it needs to go earlier. And I was caught that way a number of years ago, and I'll never forget as I was just kind of wrestling with it, as I was born with a hairline that was pretty far back, but it kept going back and back. But there's this part back here where you can't really see. And I'll never forget, when my oldest daughter, Addison, was baptized in the lake at our lake baptism, it was a beautiful moment for me, my first child, baptizing her. And the photographer, Erica, got this beautiful picture of me baptizing my daughter, coming out of the water. The water beadlets are falling off her face. It's a beautiful picture and I'll never forget when I first saw it. I was walking down the administrative offices at the Troy campus, and they had a banner, like a life-size banner, of me baptizing my daughter on the wall in the offices. And this is a special moment, a special image for me, that my, I'm baptizing my daughter, but I couldn't pay attention to anything else other than it was very apparent. There was a round, bald spot on the back of my head. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, that is, that is much worse than I thought it was. And I'll never forget, that next Sunday, I was standing like this. When I stand like this, I can see the back of my head and the cameras. And in the middle of the message, I was like, is that what you guys see? And I went home. I kid you not, that Sunday afternoon, you can ask my wife, Sarah. I went home that day, gone, never to come back again. I let it go too far as it was. And my oldest, Addison, cried. She was like, you don't look like my father anymore. And I'm like, if it's a middle-aged, balding guy, I still do. I just don't have hair anymore. But she was so upset at me because I shaved my head. I didn't look like I was. And while it seems trivial or, or just uh, funny at the moment, what it, what it shows me is that I saw something in the light of reality I saw something for how it was, how all of you see, and you never told me. And it compelled me in such a way to make a change in my life to where I no longer will allow hair to grow on my head. And while it's silly, I want you to see how it is exactly what we see in Isaiah chapter 6, that today I want you to get a real view of the God you, you, you say you worship, the God who is the God of the universe, and my hope is that when you truly see him, it will naturally compel you to action and movement. That the glory of God, when we truly see it, should compel us to move, to, to action into the mission of God. And today we're just looking at the first four verses. I'll read them with you in just a moment and, and I want to, as we get a peek into the throne room of God, get to see in reality who God is. And may it move us as we get a majestic, holy, other view of who God is. May it move us to, to go, to go to a world that desperately needs to see the glory of God. And, and so our, our motivating reality, as I've already said today, is this, is that God's glory compels us to go. And my hope is by the end of this, you will say, as Isaiah did, send me. Here am I, Lord. I, I want to be a part of that. I want to move forward. So let's read together Isaiah chapter 
6, verse 1, we're going to read all the way through 4, as I want you to see the glory of God. Look what it says in verse 1. In, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood, ser- stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke pretty amazing passage, and I'm assuming you've probably read it before, and like Isaiah did, it says that he saw the Lord. Today, that's my hope, is that you would see the glory of God. Through us looking at this text, you would see the glory of God, and in the opening of the passage, it says that in the year that King Uzziah died, so just a real quick, King Uzziah uh, had a long and prosperous reign as the king, and he followed God's decrees for a a while. Maybe he had decades of his life that were good, but the prophet tells us in 2 Chronicles, you can read it later, 26, 16, he says, when he was strong, he grew proud to his own destruction. And he's unfaithful to God, and the people of God followed in footsteps. But where we pick up the passage today in Isaiah is it says that the king, Uzziah, now lay dead, and in contrast, God is here still alive. So we have, a, we have a picture that here he's painting is that the earthly king has died, but the heavenly king is still there ruling and reigning. He may be, die, may be dead, King Uzziah is dead, but God is not dead. He's still there, high and lifted up, exalted, sitting on his throne from the beginning to the end. It's just a reminder for me. At the very beginning of our passage, I just want you to see that here, that earthly kings come and go, powers, world powers, the ones we see right now, will come and go, but the glory of God is everlasting. King Uzziah lay dead, God is ruling and reigning. One day, I'll tell you, no matter what president we have now, or next year, or the year after, or the year after, or governor, or officials, one day they will all pass on. And be put in the ground. But the God who controls all things is sovereign, ruling and reigning above all of it, will always be there. Continually sitting on his throne. It's just a reminder that he wants us to see them in the very beginning. King Uzziah is dead. Here's a picture of the true king. The true king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is surely not dead. Here's the picture that he says that he sees of him. He says that he got a vision of the Lord. He saw him sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his throne filled the temple. And again, this is how he saw the Lord. And we have a number of other places within Scripture where we get a picture into the throne room of God. And I want you here just to get the the real picture of who God is. Now, it says that he saw the Lord. John 1, in verse 18, rightly says that no one has ever seen God. But in moments, as, as you study, God in condescent, condescension, literally he condescends himself so that he, he clothes himself in the reality so that he can be seen visibly in those moments for people. And here's one of those moments. As Isaiah sees God, and the picture that he sees God is he's a king, he has a throne, he has a robe, he has attendants, and he's high exalted 
above everything else, all speaking to the supremacy of God over all of things, that he is there in his throne room being worshipped with the train of his robe filling the temple, and he is exalted above everything else. It's a picture we want to see, that our sovereign God, the God you serve, the God I serve, today still is high above every throne and authority and power over everything. You know what's fascinating to me is there's never a vision of God in Scripture where we find him stressed out, overwhelmed, at his wit's end because the earth is coming undone. Like, oh, man, are you kidding me? Like, man, what is happening in the United States? What's happening in the world powers? God's like undone, overwhelmed. He's stressed out like, man, I've lost control of it all. What I find fascinating is you never find that. You find the opposite. No, you see the Lord, he sits. He is resting, sitting on his throne in complete complete peace and control. He's never overwhelmed. He's not frantically trying to hold it all together. No, at the end of the day, when we see the Lord high and lifted up, he's sitting in peace and control, supremely above everything else. That's the God we serve. Not some God who's worried or overwhelmed. God is still in control today, whether you think he is or not. But in contrast, the way in which we see in Isaiah is, man, he's sitting there. Earthly king is laid to rest, but the true sovereign God of all is sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning. And today, if I can just encourage you, God is the same. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life or in the world around us, God is not stressed out. He's not out of energy. He's not overwhelmed and worried about things coming undone. No, he's sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning. And he has the power and authority over every big conflict in the world around us and every little interpersonal reality in your life, in the minutia of your life. God is, is involved in all of that. That's the kind of God he is. As he is Involved in all of these things. He's meticulously sovereign in your life and in my life and in the world's life. And while earthly powers come and go, the sovereign rule of the Lord will remain always. But I mean, I I just see some people in reality, the way that they're functioning as followers of Jesus. Do you see God this way? Because sometimes I watch the reality of believers and they're like, man, God must be out of control. So I got to take control. Man, God obviously doesn't know what he's doing with world powers, so, man, I need to take control. Man, God obviously doesn't know what he's doing in my life, so I have to take control. Man, God doesn't know how, how to do this in this area or this venue of my life, so, man, I have to take control because I know better to God, and God is not sovereignly in control. He, he has obviously lost control, and then it builds within me. And anxiety and overwhelm because God may not be. Can I tell you, one of the greatest things about believing wholeheartedly in the sovereign ruling and reigning of God is I don't need to. While I may struggle with it, yes, I don't need to be anxious about anything because God is working all things together for good for those who are called and love him and are called according to his purpose. At the end of the day, it may not be working on exactly the way you think it should, but at the end of the day, it's working on exactly the way that God planned it should, and he's working it out for good and his glory. That, that, that's, that's God who we see very at the very beginning. But this, this view that he has in the throne, man, it's a pretty busy place. There's seraphim above him, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, 
Seraphim, it's interesting when you look at it, it just means burning ones. And fire is actually the chief symbol of the holiness of God in the scriptures. Holiness, fire. So the fiery ones or the burning ones, the seraphim, they're above him. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. Can I tell you, holy, holy, holy is not just for repetition's sake. It's not as though, as I've joked with some people, it's not as though we're going to be in heaven. When you get to heaven one day, we're just going to stand around God's sea of people, and we're all just going to be like, holy, holy, holy. We're just there all day. That's what we're doing. It's going to be fantastic. Man, I'm looking forward to heaven. Just going to sit there, holy, holy. And you can only say it three times. you got to take a break. Then. A holy, holy. No, that, that, that's not why it's here. What's amazing is not just for repetition, it's for emphasis. What's happening here is it's not just holy. He's holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And, and as you read, each word is literally boosting force the previous word in exponential factor, that it's this threefold adjective, holy, holy, holy. It's not found anywhere else in the Old Testament. It's found here to emphasize the idea that he is God alone. He is holy. He is other because holy means set apart, but he's not just set apart in a small way like we're humans and God is set apart here, holy. No, he's holy, holy, holy. They're saying in, in a moment, he's saying the vision that I'm getting of God is not that he's just a little bit above us, just a little bit nicer and a little better than us, but no, he is holy, holy, holy. He's God and we're not. He is other, so other that I have to say it three times to put emphasis on he is holy, he is holy, he is holy. He is a other God. A.W. Tozer writes this to try to express this. He says, we must not think of God as highest in the ascending order of being, starting with the single cell and going up, going up, on up from the fish to the bird, to the animal, to man, to angel, to cherub, to God. God is as high above the archangel as above the caterpillar. For the gulf that separates the archangel from the caterpillar is but finite, while the gulf between God and the archangel is infinite. That God is not just some, some person or being that's just a little bit above us. No, God is other holy. He's God. In, in verse 3, it says that the holy presence of God is not just restricted to this place. It says that it fills the whole earth, that the whole earth is a mere reflection of the majestic glory of God. From the heights of heaven to the earth, the glory of God is revealed. It's amazing. And our view is oftentimes very limited. It's very limited so that we, we don't often see, as it says in Romans, that the glory of God, the heavens declare it, right? But oftentimes we miss it because we are so foolish to see other things and have our eyes displayed or fixed on other things. But what's amazing is there's a connection between the holiness of God and the glory of God. You know what it is? That the glory of God is the manifestation of his holiness. Do you understand what I mean by that? That God is holy and he's other. He is God. He's holy, holy, holy. The glory of God is, is the manifestation of his holiness. As I read, one writer says, the holiness of God is his concealed glory. And the glory of God is his revealed holiness. 
that when I look at the mountains around me and I see the glory of God on display, it is but just a coming out of his holiness, his otherness, that there's a God who spoke all of that into existence because he is holy, and I am just but getting a picture of his revealed holiness in his glory that is filling the earth. I'll tell you what, when I saw my daughters born, it was a picture of the glory, glory of God, which showed me the holiness, the otherness of God, that God in how he functions, how in the world does this happen other than there's a God who meticulously forms each one of us in our womb, beautiful and different, all the same, made in the image and likeness of God, but God is so other and big and holy that he does things that I can't even imagine. I, I, where, where is it, if I could ask you, where is it that you see the revealed glory of God the most? Like, what is, what is your setting? Think about that. For me, it's always the wilderness. It's always the mountains. One of the reasons why I love the wilderness and the mountains is that I feel God there. I see God there. God feels big and glorious, and rightly so. It makes me feel small and, and, and minute. And when I see that, it always compels me. Like, man, this is the God that I'm serving. He's so amazing and good and big and other that, man, he spoke all of this into existence. And it, it compels me to see God. And the reality of me seeing God for who he really is, it compels me to want to be a part of what he's doing naturally by process. So I just, I'll just ask you, like, as we close out this section, how, how do you see God? What's your view of God? Like, is God just some wimpy God that, you know, he kind of does some stuff, but other than that, it's not really that majestic or big? Or do you see God as big and holy and ruling and reigning and, reigning and controlling all things and all sovereign and all knowing and all powerful? Or is it something else? Because what I want you to know today is the reality is, is that the way in which you see God will directly impact the way in which you serve God. The way in which you see God will directly impact the way in which you serve God. Uh, you can just walk through it. Man, if you see God as weak and small, are you going to pray big prayers? No. No. So let's just take a pause for a moment, and I'll help you see the view that you see God. If your prayers are but just, God, keep me safe today. Help me with that test I have in college. Man, God, uh, thanks for today. Thank you for this food. Bless it to our bodies. If this is our prayer life, your view of God is not big enough. Man, my view of God will directly impact the way I pray. If I don't believe that God can still heal people today, I won't pray for it. If I don't believe that God can actually change people's lives that look as though they're far from the Lord, I won't pray for it. How many of us here today have that thing in the back of our mind? We look at someone, we're like, there's no way God's saving that person. I'm not saying that lightly. It's, you chuckle, and I chuckle. It's like, I'm saying we all, like, that the gospel just, it just doesn't reach that far. Or... Do we see God as all-powerful and all-controlling can even change someone, change someone's heart like the Apostle Paul who was persecuting the church, railing against the church, murdering people, and then used as the greatest agent of change in the gospel the world has ever seen? Because the way I see God 
will impact the way I serve God. It will impact the way I pray. Man, I'll just ask you, if you don't see God as sovereign in control of all things, will you take risks and step out? Probably not. Because you're going to be in control of all things, and I have to make sure everything is calculated, and I got it all planned down and budgeted and all these different things. And, man, if I don't see God as sovereignly in control of all things, I'm not going to take risks because I'm going to be like, man, I got to control my circumstances. But when I see God big and other, I'm like, man, when I step out, God, I'm believing that you're going to be there. You're going to meet me there. You're going to help me. You're going to walk with me. I want to track with you, Lord. It's going to change the way that I live. But, man, if we see God as he is pictured in this passage and throughout Scripture, I will tell you, we're going to walk with a different swagger knowing that we're walking with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, high and lifted up, sovereignly in control of all things, holy and glorious. And today what I want to see is that when you read the end of the passage, it says that, 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 that when they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, it shook the foundations of the temple. And today, as we see a picture of who God is, I wanted to shake the foundations of your heart and your life today. So much so that I'll be compelled to step out and say, Lord, I want to go. I want to I be involved. I want to go out as we see continue. It's not just seeing the glory of God. And we're called and compelled to show the glory of God. Isaiah, when he, when he sees this vision of God, he learns that God isn't just up there in heaven. And I feel as though we have this picture often in our own lives. God isn't just up there. He, he's down here as well, actually. He's filling the earth with his glory, and that's been his plan for all along. At the end of our passage, it says, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. And, and that's been God's plan from the very beginning of creation. Did you know that? Like, like, why did creation happen? Was God lonely? Eternity is a long time. God's up there just twiddling his thumbs like, wish I had somebody to talk to. It's been a long time. Is that, is that God? No, God, God has been functioning for all of eternity in perfect communion with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we're made in his image and likeness. That's why we're created for community, because God is a God of community. From the onset, it wasn't good for man to be alone, so he brought about Eve, right? And so God wasn't lonely. What was happening? And so why did he create? God didn't create to make himself complete or find companionship. No, rather, he wanted to, to, to enjoy spreading his goodness and his glory. And so he created man in his image, and the whole earth now is filled with his glory. The fascinating part is, though, that humanity keeps trying to fill the earth with moments of their own glory. We're all trying it very often, actually. And when you look at the world around us, they're all trying to fill the earth with their own glory, as with our own kingdoms and our own businesses and our own hit songs and our own athletic victories, all of the mechanisms trying to fill the earth with our own glory and find salvation in some form in it. But we know that the truth is better than all of that. That the earth is just an extension of the throne room of God as the earth is filled with his glory. And as the Sermon on the Mount says that God's heart, his will, is that the kingdom of glory would come here in our lives, and, and the will of God would be done here as it is where? In heaven. 
that he's filling the glory of God. Heaven is expanding, spreading throughout the earth, one soul at a time, and we get to be a part of that. Heaven is taking over earth, and we're a part of that. The glory of God is filling the earth. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives this amazing principle, and what I feel as though God has called us to do, it's just a great picture of that. In in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this in verses 14 and 16, after all of the Beatitudes, saying like this is an expression of what the kingdom of heaven is like, he says this, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Now listen to what it says. So that, why? They might see your good works and give what? Glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, our jobs as followers of Jesus is that we are called to be a light in the world, doing the good works of God. Why? Just because we have to obey God because of part of this religious thing we're doing? It's just because there's a rules, the list of things we have to do? No, we do it because we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also so that people get a real picture of who God is and then in turn give Him glory, which only He is due. You see, we are to live so that people can see God and therefore glorify God with their lives. And we're a part of filling the earth with the glory of God when we do it, as we reflect heaven here on earth. So like the cherubim, we are called, or the seraphim, we are called to sing and tell of the holiness and the goodness of God and the glory of God with our mouths and our lives and everything we have. And in turn, the world around us might see the glory of God and then turn and give glory to the Father who is in heaven to show the world the glory of God. Now, you might be like, that's great for you to say, Jim, but like in practical, like just brass tacks, let's talk, like what does it look like to show the world the glory of God? Do I have to like sit under some lamps and make sure I'm glowing? And then I go out into the world. Jim's like, he said we're supposed to go tanning, so we're going to the tanning booth and come out and just look like I've been with Jesus. So like what do you, what do, what do you, what do you mean by this, Jim? Like what does it look like? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. How do you show people God's glory? In John 1, in chapter, four, or chapter 1, in verse 14, the Gospel of John, it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that's Jesus, and we have seen His, what? Glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now look at this. In Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 3, this is what it says. He is the radiance. Who? Jesus. He is the radiance of what? The glory of God. Who? Jesus. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So if you just take a moment, how do people see the glory of God? How am I supposed to show people the glory of God? Can I tell you, there is just a simple practical step here. It is, I am supposed to show the world so that they might see Jesus. How do I live? I'm supposed to live like Jesus and therefore show the world the glory of God because Jesus is what? The exact imprint of the nature of God. When we see him, he's the radiance of the glory of God. 
Jesus. And what's fascinating, it says there in our passage, and he upholds the universe by the power, uh, by, the, by the word of his power, that Jesus is the exact imprint of God and is now ruling and reigning, and he is holding all that we see around us by the power of his word. That's the God we serve. And, and man, as I go on into the world, as the glory of God compels me to go, how do I show people the glory of God? I am showing them Jesus Show people the glory of God. How do I do that? Is showing them and telling them of Jesus, showing them and telling them of the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like. It's simple ways and maybe some hard ways. It's having conversations with people about Jesus. Yes. It's also treating people like Jesus would. So just, just a heads up, it doesn't mean we call names on social media because we, del- we, we believe differently than people. And because I'm behind a keyboard, I can say whatever I want. It means that we respect our government officials, as Scripture commands us to, because all of them are only there but by the sovereignty of God. It means that we live out practical ways of loving people in real ways. It means that we live as though Jesus did looking at every opportunity that I have in life and saying, man, where is it along the way that people are being brought into my life that I might be able to shine a light in their life along the way so I can't be too hurried to get to work in the morning because there might be someone along the way that God's calling me to interact with. it It just looks like Jesus. If you don't know what that looks like, start reading the Gospels and live like Jesus and allow it to impact the way that you live and function. And show the world and tell the world of the gospel. And if God is truly holy and worthy of all the glory, it should compel us into the world. And you might say, why, Jim? Well, I was made light of, I was made aware of this many years ago. I never thought about it this way. But every day there are billions of people in the world, all over the world, that are giving glory to something, right? Every day you're giving glory to something. I'll promise you that. Every day, there are billions of people giving glory to something that only God is deserving of. God is the only one deserving of all of the worship, all of the glory they're giving. And they're worshiping something or someone. Well, God is the only one who should be getting all of that. And our job as followers of Jesus is to go into the world showing the glory of Christ that the world might turn and give glory to God. Man, my job is to show the world the glory of God so they will glorify God himself because God is deserving of all of their glory as God himself. And I tell you, this is why we give generously to global partners around the world. This is, this is why we're involved with missions around the world because there's billions of people that have never seen or heard about the glory of Christ in the gospel And they need to hear about the gospel and in turn give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And all of these missions partners are are lighthouses throughout the world in their own country for the kingdom of God. And we support them because we want to see that. And that's great. Global missions is an amazing thing. But can I tell you, God is calling us into local missions to live in light of this. It's not enough for me to write a check at church and be like, my church is is sending missionaries, so uh, I've checked that box of some have the gift of evangelism, some have the gift of writing checks. So I wrote that, and my church you know, gives money to global missions, and we have partners all over the world. 
So I don't have to share the gospel with my neighbor. I've been given that gift. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you've been given that gift. If you're following Jesus, you've been given that gift. And God is calling us to engage, to show the world what it looks like to follow Jesus. And my prayer for this week and next week and the week after is just walk through this, this, this passage practically that we would respond like Isaiah did. Isaiah, after seeing what we see today, the glory of God high and lifted up, exalted above everything, holy, holy, holy. In light of that, he looks back at himself and says, man, I am a man of unclean lips. We're going to look at it next week. I need the forgiveness of God. And God forgives him. And after that, God says, man, I I need someone to go and tell my people. And the message he was going to go and tell them wasn't very nice. But his response was, hear my Lord, send me. My, my, My hope is that today, next week, the week after, our response was will be that, man, I have seen the glory of God. I will show the glory of God through Christ to the world. Here am I, send me. To my neighbor, to my barista, to my coworkers, to my spouse, to my children. Here, my Lord, send me. And the question is, will you go? You might already be like, man, I ain't coming back next week if this is what we're going to talk about. (laughs) Cool. That's on you. But we're going to, we want to every week respond like, Lord, here am I. Send me. I want to go. Pastor Alex, at the end of the service, we'll talk a little bit about this. But you have some information as you came in, even of our global partners and the campaign we're doing right now. Send people to the rest of the world. My heart is more than we're just going to send people to the rest of the world, but we're going to be sent Looking out here right now, there's a few hundred missionaries sitting in this place to impact the world around us every single day. The glory of God compels us to go where we go. Let's pray together. God, thank you for who you are and your glory that is on display every day as we look out. God, we thank you for not just being some God who is high and lifted up and other and in heaven and whatever, God, but you're, 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 you're close. You're you're. You're here with us. You're you're displayed in the world around us. As I look at people right now in the room, God, you're displayed in them as image bearers of you. You're displayed in what I see in the world, in your just amazing revelation of who you are. But God, these pictures we see in Scripture, where we get to see you for what you are like, your holiness, your otherness, your bigness, your amazing glory, God, I ask that in this room that as I look out, that it would compel us to go, to, to, to go to our neighbors and our networks for the kingdom of God, to be generous with sending people to other countries and our global uh, partners, that they, those people might see the goodness of God and the glory of God and then might turn and give you glory and worship, God. So I just ask, maybe even this moment, God, I ask that in this place, every person in this room, as their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, that you would give them a name right now. I ask you in the name of Jesus, give them a name right now. Whether a neighbor, friend, co-worker, someone that you've placed on their heart that needs to see the glory of God.